I don't know what these buttons do. Well, hey there. Uh, welcome to KLOS 50 in Reverse Podcast. This is episode number six as we spotlight the impact KLOS has had on radio, rock and roll, and the Southern California community. It has served for over 50 years. The topic of discussion for episode six is the 80s, a decade that changed the music business forever and not all of it in a good way. Yeah. I'm your host, uh, Rita Wild, joined again by our co host, the wizard Stu Herrera. Now, Stu has been with KLOS for over 25 years as an imaging and content creator as well as on-air personality. And our special guest for this episode is the master of mayhem and the ringleader of KLOS, Program Director Keith Cunningham. Yeah. Keith is a nationally known programmer and media consultant and a rock and roller with his own story of the music business in the 80s. And some of the topics we'll be talking about will include MTV, KMET, going away. The 80s, I remember some of it. Uh, I vividly remember uh, being hired here in uh, 1983 at KLOS, and that was just such an amazing uh, experience for myself, um, you know, just to have the view of it from the perspective that I had it from because so much was going on at this place and so much was going on. It was a music. big year. <laughs> a- big year, 1983. 83 yeah. was a big year. Oz Festival. Yeah, that's the first thing yeah. I think of. That's the first thing I think yeah. of. Yeah, heavy metal day, right? In, and uh, yeah. then they have New Wave Day also. They do. New Wave Day. And so, yeah, it was just crazy. But yeah. what are your thoughts on the 80s, you know, just as an overview? We'll let uh, Keith take first here. Yeah. Well, not that anybody cares outside of us three, but God damn, it's hot in the studio tonight. <laughs> but, um, I, I think the earthquake knocked out the AC. Oh, no, the earthquake did not knock out the AC. It was never here to get knocked out in the first place. So I've got this whole legal pad in front of me, and I was thinking about the 80s and it may have been the most diverse decade of music we've ever seen. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I don't know if it's probably not the best, but you had hard rock and hair, you had metal, you had what they called arena rock, alternative was um, emerging, post-punk, pop rock, new wave. There was Damn. so much music cow, in the 80s. Cow punk. Cow punk. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, country alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, just as everything was just insane. And and I think a lot of that was because of MTV. It was, for sure. You know, that, that changed everything. I mean, I remember uh, it, it changing how radio operated. I mean, you used to get an album in, you know, from the record label and say, you know, uh, this is our lead track, but these are three other songs that are really good on the album. Mm-hmm. And then they got so uptight after that because, well, no, the video is all around this. You have to play this particular song. And it was a piece of crap most of the time, to be uh, honest with you. Oh, yeah. And they didn't want you going deep. Exactly. You know, which is which is weird. Hey, it's it's your album. But, you know, it was hmm. like all about the uh, the videos and, and you follow know. the lead of MTV. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it, it allowed, you know, artists, I think, to express themselves a little more clearly for fans to really see who these artists were. So it really did change everything. You remember what the first video was, of course. Video killed the radio, killed the radio star. Right, exactly. So yeah. right, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Serve their career well. Right. I mean, you do remember them for that song and that and that yeah. achievement. Just, but and, uh, other than that, that what, what else did they do? Yeah. But that, that was the thing, though, too, because, uh, you know, then it was like, well, I love the video, but I hate the song. But it didn't matter because if people loved the video, then the song became a smash. And there was a lot of crap that was getting played and so forth. And <laughs> there was a lot of crossover, too, because of that. You know, you had like Michael Jackson with, uh, you know, Thriller. And it's, you know, then you had Eddie Van Halen playing guitar on that. It's like, sure. uh, you know, it's like, what? Oh, beat it, beat we, it. Yeah, yeah. beat it. 
you know, so it's just like it was a crazy time. Would man. that have happened? Would that would it, would that album have been as huge? Thriller, I'm talking about for Michael Jackson. Would that album have been as huge as it was if if it didn't have all that video content? That's a great question. Um, it's unknowable, but yeah. I don't know. It was that was good music. I mean, Those were really good, good songs, oh, but I think sure. the videos really exposed Michael to a lot of people that may not have been seeking out that pop music. I know for me, I wouldn't have went looking for a Michael Jackson record, but when I saw yeah. him on MTV. There's no denying that guy, superstar. <laughs> and then the same thing with uh, Prince. Uh, Stu and I were talking <laughs> about uh, a Rolling Stones concert that was like, I think, 81 Tattoo U Tour, I think it was at the Coliseum. Mm. And Prince was on the bill, and he got booed <laughs> off. They hated him. Booed off the stage. You know, it was just like, you yeah. know, it's like, get out of here. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, this is this is, this is Prince. Of course, wow. it was a different type of music. But then look what happened with the videos and stuff like that and Purple Rain. And then everybody really learned to appreciate and accept his he brought uh, a little brilliance. more rock to the party, I think, too, yeah. after that experience. Yeah, he did. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> if I'm going to be on rock shows, i put some more rock uh, to it. Well, and then there was, uh, what was the other kind of mogul or icon? Madonna? Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, you really think of Prince, yeah. Michael Jackson, and Madonna outside of the rock world as yeah. really kind of being the MTV icons, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's like that really didn't bother me, you know, because I was just rock and roll, rock and roll. But then it was like a lot of the videos that the rock and rollers that I loved, you know, it's like you got lucky from Tom Petty and Harper. I said, what the hell does this video mean? This is just so stupid. You know, it's like Springsteen, uh, you know, dancing in the dark, you know, and Courtney Cox there. And it's like it was just kind of literal, you know. It was uh, it was it was a different time. And, 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 and that to me is a sad part about things because I think, you know, for me listening to music growing up, it was always about my imagination, where that song meant to me, mm-hmm. where it took me. And then sometimes I think with the videos, it made people think, oh, well, this song is about this and this and this. And sometimes it wasn't too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of bands didn't, uh, you know, it made and uh, made and did not make certain bands or like uh, I'm I'm just thinking of a band that came real late to the MTV party was Metallica. They were like yeah, they took yeah. a stance said we're not even gonna put out videos because we're badass and we're Metallica and f all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and finally they did and you know exceeded Metallica their, their was just so different. We were talking too about uh, one of the mega concerts that took place in Southern California. Oh, uh, Monsters of Rock it took uh, place at oh, the Coliseum. Yeah, you know, and, and in my head, I was thinking, because I, I said, I'm not going to that. <laughs> you know, it's July, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, I'm not going to go it. But it was Van Halen, Scorpions, Metallica, Dokken, somebody else. King Kingdom Come. Come. Oh, Kingdom King. to Come. So sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry, Kingdom Come. Led Zeppelin Jr. But, uh, you know, it was just, you know, so weird. I was thinking in my head that Metallica, <laughs> Metallica was the headliner, but it wasn't. Metallica was like fourth on the bill or something like that. Uh, one, two, it was, fourth uh, on the bill. It was third. I think it was Kingdom Come. Then Metallica. No, it was then Metallica. Yeah. Then right. Dawkins. Then Dawkins. Then Scorpions. Then Van Halen. Then Van Halen. And Metallica was huge. And then after that, they became even. Well, that know, was the day uh, that Metallica kind of just yeah. like let the whole world know, at least in L.A., like, pff, it's us. We're here and We're it's here, all about and, us. Like and... they just, I mean, if you talk about a band that will forever have stolen the show and how do you upstage van halen well that's how (laughs) that's how you do it you get the people rushing the fences you know and it's like you know back uh a quick note on the mtv uh front as the gnr lore goes Mm. i can't verify this but they were about ready to be dropped you know the record came out and it only sold a couple hundred thousand copies and 
it was being uh, claimed a complete flop. And <laughs> so David Geffen pulled some favors and got MTV to air the Welcome to the Jungle video. They had not aired it. Really? Mm. But they said they would only air it once in the middle of the night on a Sunday. <laughs> and so they aired it one time, but apparently their switchboard was just melted. Wow. By thousands and thousands of people calling, wondering, who's that band? What's the deal with this Welcome to the Jungle? And all of a sudden, Big thing they changed. put it into heavy heavy rotation, and the next thing you know, Everything Guns N' Roses changed. is Guns N' Roses. I yeah. have no idea because about that story. I, th- I think that, that uh, KNEC was playing Guns N' Roses, because I know oh, that, yeah. that KLOS wasn't. We didn't wait for MTV. Yeah, yeah but, but even still, yeah, at that time, it just shows you how volatile the market was. It was like, you know, we're talking about all these different... Uh, genres of rock, you know, KNEC had the hard heavy metal, and it's like, man, yeah. they were all over Guns N' Roses and stuff oh, like sure. that. I mean, we were just like in our own little microcosm, playing, making hit records that no one had ever heard of outside of them, but they were in heavy rotation on KNAC, and our, our P1s and probably P2s knew those songs, and that was that. Yeah. I was thinking of something, another, another MTV success slash not success story. So Billy Squire. Oh God. Had a great <laughs> career. He was he was filling Shea Stadium on yeah. the scale of like Bruce Springsteen and stuff until Rock Me Tonight. Rock Me Tonight. Which is a great song. Uh, but boy, with wow. that video, I, I would <clears> killed him. Yeah, we call that, right? that song I mean, right, but the way you're dancing on top of the bed. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> clarify a few things. Stu did work at KNEC and oh, yeah. P1 preference one. If it was a P1 listener, so, thank you. Um, your um, favorite station. You're a P1. If right. KNEC was your favorite station, you were a P1 to KNEC. Right. And then at that time, uh, well, that was '86, '87. Because I remember KNEC in the early '80s being rock and rhythm. And I remember sure, like listening too. to a DJ by the name of Dick Shepard, oh. who later became Richard Blade. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, so he worked at KNEC. A lot of people worked at KNEC. But then I don't know yeah. really when it was, what year they, they took off in the hard rock direction. 86. 86, yeah, okay. 86. Yeah, and then, and then it was like pirate radio. But then at that time, it was like so many things had transpired. And, and the big dog still you know, in, in the early 80s was, was KMET. But, uh, sure. You know, and, well, it, was, and you got, it was us and KMET, right? Or was yeah. it do, was well, it was KMET, KMET was still beating yeah. KLOS ratings wise, the, right? I think that it had just started to change, like yeah. in the in the '80s. But you know, they still got everything preferential treatment. I know that there was like a big to do at uh, the Rose Bowl called uh, Survival Sunday or Peace Sunday, hmm. and all the jocks were out there, and you know, it was like I mean, they had Dylan and Tom Petty and all these other bands playing. So they they had dubs on that. That was and it, you'd still talk, and it's held in such reverence. KMET is just yeah. like one. You know, people still write about it. People still miss it, and it's so weird in '87 when they changed yeah. to Ooh. to new wave music. Uh, you know, it, it it's hard oh, to like believe. new age music. You mean new age, new wave? Oh, you mean, yeah, yeah. Sorry, when, when they well, <laughs> it was a new wave. Well, of they were new mixing age. new wave in it, yeah. but uh, yeah. They'd, yeah. Anyway. Oh, it it just yeah. It was. It, yeah. I personally just thought, God, this is just so sad. And then, you know, you become friends with some of the jocks over there, and you know, we invite them over here. Well, to... there was so much cross pollination between yeah. the two stations uh, throughout the years, anyway. Wasn't yeah, there? but yeah. but just such a, a sad day. And then the reality of it is that uh, KMET was on the air less than the Wave. The Wave has been there since '87, oh. so it's like three yeah. decades and still doing well. Yeah. What do they say? Uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Absence yeah. makes the heart grow fonder. Absence fonder. makes the heart grow. But yeah. there, but there couldn't be another KMET. 
again. I mean, it's just radio and the business has changed so much that that just wouldn't uh, just yeah, wouldn't happen. Of your pants, crazy in yeah. joke, yeah. Freeform. Stuff, yeah. freeform, you know, just whatever you want to play and stuff like yeah. that. Uh, some of the other stuff that uh, was happening the uh, Sunset Strip years, um, there was like hmm. – I, I wasn't around for it either, but, uh, the, you know, like in the 60s, that was like the big time where the doors were playing and all that kind of stuff. And and then it was like in the 80s, you had uh, Motley Crue and you had Great White, um, all these other bands. And then it actually had another resurgence with Guns N' Roses and Poison and all oh, these yeah. kind of bands. Now, I know that you two were on the scene a lot. Uh, you know, Stu, I know that you uh, mix some music, and I know you, Keith, uh, were in a band that used to play the Sunset Strip. <clears throat> a pretty bad hair band that used to play the Strip. I mean, we were a headliner on the weekends, and we we guerrilla marketed very well. What? I don't think you give yourself enough credit. What was the name of the band? Uh, Landslide. Landslide. Can Who we doesn't pl- remember Landslide? Uh, I'm telling you, the songs are really not very good. They uh, <laughs> they they do not hold up. Oh, I'd um, love to hear it now. Uh, yeah. uh, we can dig some up. Uh, we marketed very well. Uh, we were semi-good looking, and so we were able to sell tickets and generate a lot of fans. Um, when we were doing this strip, you know, the bigger bands, I guess, were us and a band named Paradise. There was a band hmm. named Brunette, um, who I really think three-quarters of Brunette went on to be Hardline, if anybody remembers that band with Neil Schoen. Mm-hmm. Sure. And a band called Tough. Yeah, I remember them. And this was, you know, Poison and Motley and L.A. Guns and Faster Pussycat. They had already kind of left the strip and were, were doing their thing. We were kind of the last remnants um, of the strip age. But that was when, gosh, rock music was a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was just a big party up there on the weekends. A line of people all the way from Gazzari's, uh down to the whiskey. Yeah, it was good times. And Stu was... Yeah. At the Troubadour, what, was, almost every night, running I was, sound? I was around the block, yeah, mixing bands at the, at the Troubadour. You know, the Sunset Strip scene, you know, uh, for those that weren't there or don't clearly remember, which is, I guess, all of A us, of us. <laughs> um, like it wasn't – like the Sunset Strip scene did not begin and end. It wasn't confined to the Sunset Strip. Right. It was everywhere. Yeah. There, were, there were clubs Everywhere, in country club in Reseda, FM station in the valley, station out in Orange County, right across from where I grew up in Buena Park, Anaheim, Cypress. There were two seminal uh, clubs called uh, Woodstock and Radio City, and yep. every band yep. that made yep. their mark in those yep. days played Absolutely. those two. Like Great White played there all the time, yeah, uh, and so did Metallica for that matter. Well, and KNAC would do their what five cent beer nights at the Red Onion, and yeah. Sunset <laughs> Strip bands would go down sure. there. And yeah, that's like later eighties, late, yeah. later days eighties. But I mean, when I was too young to get, when I I could get into Skateway, I w- couldn't get into Woodstock Radio City, or didn't try hard enough, as it turned out. Um, but yeah, I've, golly, that was just rock bands. Just it was just rock, 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 rock everywhere. And, and that's interesting because you know we were talking about MTV and how that kind of changed music, and they had all these different genres of music, but still. 80s rock was dominant. Yeah, you know, very dominant. You had you had uh, you know like well the metal bands with all you know like great white great white videos doing uh, a tremendous all them all them the you know Motley Crue. What are we listening to now? Oh, what happened there? I don't know. I don't know. We were listening to we something. Were listening to something. Keith pulled, t- touched his headphones and the music stopped. Well, come on. That's all. Oh, jeez. Is that you? Yeah, but that was. 
Yeah, my love. That was that's early landslide. There's that's better landslide oh, out yeah, there. Oh yeah, you know. That's not bad. That's good though. What did you play in the band? Uh, lead guitar. Lead. Oh, yeah. What kind of guitar? Uh, ESPs and uh, Charvel Jacksons. Oh, very nice. Okay. That was that was what you played. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Was, yeah. Exactly. And somebody got those guitars uh, the past couple of years ago. You brought them to work and you sold them to somebody. Uh, Eric Smith bought one of my BC Riches. Aye. I think that was the only one. Uh, that I sold. But yeah, that was that. So you had the hair going. Uh, down to my waist. Look yeah. All right. Oh, down to my waist. Yeah. yeah. You know, everybody had the guitar sponsorships and right. amp sponsorship. Yeah. Why didn't somebody have like hair care product exactly. sponsorships? Or maybe they did. Well, most bands could get their hair. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Girlfriends. <laughs> um, no, if you went to like a salon, yeah, yeah. they would do your hair for free if you put their logo on your flyer. Yeah. Oh. Oh, very cool. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. And, uh, Smart. Ours was a place called Hot Hair. <laughs> and where was Hot Hair at? Where was that? Uh, it was a girl's house. Okay. She worked at Hot Hair, but she would do our hair at yeah. her house. Excellent. Excellent. How so, convenient. Yeah. Every, so everybody in the band had super long hair. And, uh, uh, yep. Everyone had long. We were not as glammy as like a poison. We were more yeah. like a skid row. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because uh, we actually yeah. lived in East L.A. Oh, okay. Well, that's so, different. Yeah, we had, an, walk down we had an edge to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't walk down the street in East L.A. with that long hair. No. Could you? Well, with long hair, yes. With cross-dressed, hey, no. No. Yeah, yeah. Vato, no. hey. That's yeah. a whole other podcast, what it's like yeah. to be in a hair band living in East Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah. Was yeah. That, uh, there was a place uh, where everybody uh, practiced uh, in Vernon. Vernon, yeah. Where? We went there by the meat packing yeah. plant, and it I'm, smelled I'm t- so bad. San- it had a Francisco. Was uh, Francisco? Francisco, Francisco Studios? Studios? I think that was it. Belong- that might be it, yeah. The band I was working with was was rehearsing. You know, whatever. I, I parlayed what I was doing in the Troubadour to when I left the Troubadour and started kind of focusing my energy in radio. That I still had a lot of bands that I was friends with, and so they would play gigs, and I would go just to the gig and run their sound yeah. just for them. That was fun for a while. Yeah. Uh, too. But that's, you know, just talking about, you know, that's that's really good, smart branding, you know, putting somebody's label on your flyer. Yeah. And that's what happened, I think, a lot with music in the 80s, because then a lot of the controversy started with beer sponsorships, you know, and mm-hmm. this this band presented by this beer. And then, you know, Neil Young, you know, I'm sponsored <laughs> by nobody, this you know, and, 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 and artists dropping off big old band bills, you know, for these gigantic stadium shows. Because of that branding, and that's when it, you know, it just really just just came a a business, a business, mm. you know, kind of unfortunate, but you know, that's what happened. Wrecking big ball. business, yeah. big business. But also an, another thing that happened with that, uh, the, all the stadium tours was merchandising. I mean, in the seventies, if you went to a show, you know, maybe they hit, they sold one shirt. You right. know, but but like in the eighties, it was like, oh my god, they have like a hundred million different shirts that you can choose from, and and keychains and koozie uh, cups and all this kind of stuff. You know, that that part of the business also, you know, became huge. You know, to where most bands, they would get, you know, keep on going on tour because that's where you got like thirty five percent of your money was from merchandising. Well, and up until today, that's how bands make. Yep. Yeah. Most today of their money really is re- ticket sales and it, merch. Yeah. 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 And then there's some of them nowadays who make their money by selling their song to a specific, um, you know, advertiser or something like that. It's really like amazing to me that the bands have managed to at least hold on to the merch and haven't gotten yeah. squeezed out of that. Yeah. Because somebody would just love for them to sell the rights. And just yeah, like, but, okay. but where's the other 65% going? So how much goes to the person selling it at the venue? Mm-hmm. How much goes to the maker? And then who else is taking money off the top? There's another 65%. You go, huh, that's weird. Huh. 
Lisa Bang gets 65%. That all flew totally over my head. <laughs> math. They said <laughs> there would be that no would, math. Yeah, I don't know. There's a, a – that's actually a running theme in um, – and I borrowed this book from you, Keith. If, have you read that Noel Monk book? Noel Monk was the uh, no, Van Halen's it. manager for the first – for the Dave years. The I first, know about the book, yeah, and you told me some of it. It is yeah. a great book and he goes big into the topic of Van Halen versus – the um, the merchandise pirates the you know the, mm. the dudes on the street and like it's it's so entertaining they were literally at war and they had you know big goons and heavies and stuff and they would coordinate a lot of times with the law in particular towns and they would go after these guys and beat the hell out of them chain them up for a while or like anything <laughs> kind of would go to sell, to stop the bootleg to stop yeah. the bootleg yeah, yeah they were yeah. they were but they're really still out there though they're still out there oh, at some sure. of the, the bigger shows and stuff like I that I would but... never patronize a bootlegger <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, what well, we just went to the um, the the KLS fiftieth anniversary Golden Gala, and <clears throat> geez, a mile from the Greek, yeah, we saw people selling Hollywood vampires merch, and I can't even imagine that was legit. Yeah, well, no, wasn't. No, no. and Still mine going. and mine doesn't even fit. No, uh, it's you know. <laughs> let's not say you know you've made it if someone's bootlegging your thing. Your, yeah. Or, yeah, it's good. Uh, more about the business side of it. You know, it was that was about the time that I really started getting interested in, in like all the key players of bands. Like, okay, all right, there's the businessman. You know, like watching the Beatles. Paul McCartney was a businessman. You know, in uh, Van Halen, David Lee <laughs> Roth was a businessman. You know, even you look at you know like bands today. I don't know who. In Metallica, would it be James or Lars? Lars. It'd be Lars. Motley Crue, Nikki Six was exactly. the visionary, the yeah. businessman, yeah. even though he had his struggles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's amazing. Some of them have just such great business sense. You know, in the Stones, you know, it's Mick Jagger. You know, and it's like, you know, these guys know their money, know how to take care of it and mm. invested wisely and, and did well. But it just, you know, it, it, it kind of took something away from the... The, the romance, the renaissance of music and what it meant when it just started, you know, charging all this money, especially these days, what concert tickets are going for. My oh, God. Yeah, it's yeah crazy. I know. It's crazy. It's super crazy. And it seems like it like it was like that's an artifact of the 80s. But I, I think those that business sense, you know, goes way, way back. There was. Well, like you said, like Paul McCartney was, you know. They certainly had help. Epstein and all those guys yeah. uh, in the 60s. Like every band, I think, has its. If, if they're going to make it in the long term, has their sharp guy who's yep. making sure that they got the money. Yeah, they have to. And it was, yeah. you know, like what the Stones do. It was like, you know, songwriting credits. I think that was Andrew Luke Oldman. You know, he said, you guys, you two, just go in a room and write. Well, yeah. how do you write songs? Just figure it out. <laughs> you know, and so that way they started to get publishing rights and stuff like that. But uh, it's crazy. Well, crazy. the concert business today, if you go back to Us Festival and the Monsters of Rock, it's it's returning to that. I mean, there's always going to be the one-off concerts at Staples or the Forum or the Will Turn, the Greek or whatever. But the real money the promoters are finding is in the festivals. It's in the two-day two-day shows with multiple bands and side attractions and lifestyle stuff like you know Coachella, Coachella yeah. or a Sabroso, yeah. um, a Punk and Brew, those types of things. Yeah. That's really what promoters are shooting for now because yeah. prices have gotten so high 
that music fans can only go to so many shows. They need a big experience right. for their for their money. It's got to have you know. exactly. And right. it sounds like they you know, like you know more business. You take in the beers, you take in you know the taco truck and all that kind of stuff. The and irony just, is that they're get they're paying for that big ticket, and then they get in the show, they're spending money here, yeah. there, and everywhere. Fifteen dollars for a Philly cheesesteak right yeah. now. Oh my god! Don't start me up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how about a beer? What would that cost? Fifteen bucks. Yeah. Uh, if twelve dollars. Yeah. Parking. My God, I think thirty dollars, uh, forty-five at ELO when I went uh, last year. I paid somewhere last week. I went on my motorcycle, motorcycle twenty bones. My God, I was it's just crazy. Not happening. No, it's crazy stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, other things happened in the eighties with uh, music. A lot of the the big bands made huge changes, and it was kind of ironic that some of that stuff could uh, go through, like AC/DC. You know, they were so hot. They were great. Such a great band with Bon Scott. And then all of a sudden he dies. And it was like out of nowhere, it seemed like, you know, you got Brian Johnson. And I remember when they brought in the ACDC record back in black in the studio at KZY in Anaheim. And it was like, who is this guy? My God, this is such great stuff. You know, you really yeah. don't think about bands surviving, you know, the uh, the death of a, like a major a key, player. Yeah, a key member. It's, I think you can thank Mutt Lang for that one okay. on ACDC. Yeah. Yeah. He did such amazing work producing yeah, some of those. Were, I mean, they were a great band to begin with, but uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and then like other ones, uh, Ozzy left and did solo, yeah. uh, and then that we had Ronnie up. James Dio was in Black Sabbath for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, you had um, uh, who else? Uh, well, Dave Roger. Yeah, you know, Roger Waters leaving Pink, Pink Floyd. Floyd. That's a big one. You know, but still Pink Floyd coming in here and doing huge stadium tours. <laughs> Amazing. But you know. Uh, nothing like a Roger Waters one. Yeah. You know, it was just amazing. And some of the other bands well, like... nobody thought Van Halen Van would make Halen. it very far exactly. without uh, DLR. And they, they were great. It was even bigger. You know? Yeah. And that, a lot of that was could also MTV. I think MTV-driven. And, you know, it's, you know, the management, I think they changed management at that time to Irving Azoff. And um, it was it was fun to watch, you know, go over to Irving's office sometimes and, you know, have him watch... Have him do conversations with Eddie while he's talking business stuff, <laughs> because what does like, that look like? <laughs> oh, it's I, 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 you know, I'll tell you off here. You know, it's just it was one guy much, doing a lot of talking, the other guy doing a lot of nodding. You, you know, it's like yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna fucking erase everything. All the vocals, gonna get rid of all of it. <laughs> okay, you go do that. You go do that. That's good. No, that was Eddie, or that's Irving. That's that's it. that's Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Eddie. That's an impression. But wow. uh, yeah. yeah. Love Eddie, though. Good stuff. <laughs> what are some of your other uh, thoughts on the 80s, guys? Well, you wrote, uh, you mentioned that the uh, soundtrack, the movie soundtrack came of age. Yeah. Right? It was crazy because, you know, it's like, uh, don't you forget about me. Simple Minds, they hated yeah. that song. Did they? They they didn't write it. They did, didn't want to do they didn't it. Like, they didn't write it? No. And the management not. said, you know, put it on there. And then it became a huge hit. <laughs> and then they were shoving all these sound, soundtrack songs down us. You know, play this radio, play this radio. How about this one? How about, how about, how about I uh, turn the thing on so you can about, so you know what uh, I'm talking about? Can you hum it? Hey, yeah, no, 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 this one, this one, this one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> can you name that tune? You can leave your hat on. Yeah. 
Which is not the biggest one at all, but well, no, but yeah. yeah, it's a big one. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so, but and and that was big business, and because movies were becoming bigger business than, yeah. and now we have all this. Uh, so a new way we can get them to go to the movie, we can get them to then buy we an can album. Buy an album, right? How yeah. can we exactly. get them to buy a T-shirt? Right. Yeah. And that didn't happen. Oh, it did. Movie posters. Movies. Yeah, movie yeah. posters, and yeah, and you can <laughs> and you can go on you know the oh, movie sure. sites now and find everything and anything. <laughs> but eighties uh, definitely changed. So much and so many different things. I'll tell you one of my um, <clears throat> one of my takeaways is I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but in the eighties, rock music was it was fun, and girls liked it. Girls went to the show. Look, if you want to get guys to a show, get girls to the show first. All right, and Easy. that that was really the yeah. difference between the eighties and then mostly the nineties and today. In the in the nineties, uh, rock started getting darker. And angrier, and in the mid '90s, this is my theory. It was the mid '90s when hip hop really started to explode. Hip hop took the it took the swagger, it took the bling, it took the backstage party away from rock. Mm. And you'd start started seeing that in MTV and all the yeah. hip hop videos. You know, the girls were all of a sudden in the hip hop videos, oh, and the yeah. guys were partying with the cars and the jewelry and and that was the hip-hop became the party rock was no longer the party and so i think you know that's why the 80s or people assessment. look back on the 80s with i don't know what the right word is but just good memories because it was it was a good time you guys both uh, saw the movie the dirt oh yeah oh, sure. what did you yeah. know to me when i saw it it was going yeah, I had backstage passes for some of that stuff. I saw some of that stuff. Some of it, you know, it's like, you know, but some of it I'm sure that you guys did because you're dudes. Mm. And then you go to the cat house and some of the other parties up on the Sunset Strip. You know, it just I'm sure that there were stories and, and male bonding up there. And and uh, we're so, OK. There was a lot of adhesive. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can't uh, I can't think of like um any one bacchanal thing that I was at, I think like lots of little moments at lots of little parties. But it was like, one big bacchanal. Like that opening scene of the Motley Crue movie. I don't remember being at that party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, don't I don't think I was one. ever at that party either, but I, I know that those parties oh, happened. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it really was the decade of decadence as we kind of refer to it on the air. And yeah. it was debauchery and it was sex drugs rock and roll in your face absolutely yeah. a lot of sex uh, drugs especially in here in hollywood yeah or in, in southern california southern california and some just... of the other big tours that you know happened uh, because everybody became a big star like springsteen you know i'm a springsteen purist and you know when he born in the run born in the usa album came out it was like it was a great record until it was like played you know constantly and it took <laughs> it took everything out of it and then you go to you know have to go see him at the coliseum and it's just like you know, I was on I was on this bandwagon a long time ago. Who are all you people? You know, and I'm fighting sure. to get tickets. You know, it's around the fair. country. You know, same thing with you. He's too. my guy. Yeah, you yeah. too. And the Joshua Tree, it, it, how that turned them around. <laughs> uh, in 1987, their video uh, at the liquor store on Seventh and Main, where they filmed oh, that. Where the used, streets have no names. Yeah, yeah. the streets yeah. have no name. And you know how that propelled them. And I was doing an interesting research project, meaning I looked, Googled it up, uh, who was on the, or set list, who was on the bill with you uh, 2 the Joshua Tree tour at the stadium, Pretenders, and one of the nights, some guy by the name of Steve Jones. 
Oh, really? Bon yeah. Jonesy. Solo Steve Jones yeah. opened up for the Wow. Yeah, isn't that pretty cool? Wow. That, Which band? It just said Steve, just Steve Jones. Jones solo. Interesting. Yeah, he had two, three yeah. solo records yeah. out in, the, in that day. That yeah. makes sense. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, pretty cool. I would like to see that show. Yeah. Steve Jones Pretenders and then you two. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There. It was all good stuff. little plug for Jonesy. Chrissy Hine was on uh, yeah. the jukebox last week. If yeah. you missed it, she find it awesome. on the find website, 955KLOS.com. Yeah. She was awesome. I'd, I couldn't figure out why she was doing the the Hollywood Bowl because it said part orchestra, but then when the the videos I saw, it was like it was playing. So, yeah. But she's uh, she's just she's. They played her. Uh, she's got a new uh, one of the tracks on her new record that's coming out is uh, a version of the Beach Boys' "Caroline No." Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's oh, did, I didn't hear that one yet. It was awesome. If you, especially if you love that song and love yeah. her voice, and I love them both. Um, it was kind of like a very slow, down-tempo, mellow, but very psychedelic version with lots of effects and stuff. Uh, definitely worth your, your time. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Are we at our uh, time limit? I guess I oh, never well, looked. Thank you, Rita. I didn't look at it. my – yeah. how, how long do we go? I think like 32. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, we're good. So we've got great. like six minutes to, to wrap up here. But, uh, Keith, thank you. Thank you, Rita, for uh, hosting as always. Yeah. Well, thank you for uh, you know, first of all, for hiring me back and uh, <laughs> oh, let, my pleasure letting me uh, do this because this is just like it's just been an unbelievable experience for me. So thank you again. Oh, my pleasure, Anytime. and thank you for doing this because you know originally we were going to talk about on this podcast, you know, like the street Sunset Strip and and eighties bands, and it was like, well, I don't know, it just we, it's a lot more to the eighties than just Sunset Strip. Yeah, exactly. There was so much to the eighties and. Uh, and I don't know if we're going to do one on the 90s or not, or the aughts, probably not. But I know some of the uh, upcoming next episodes will be, uh, we've got one on Fraser Smith. And That'll we've got, be good. And we've got one with uh, Chris Carter. Oh, and sure. Breakfast with the Beatles. He knows a thing or two about Beatles. You know, he was just out there at uh, Capitol Records because it was yeah, Ringo Starr's birthday. You know, and, and it's like, you know, he's in all these pictures with a Ringo Starr. It's like <laughs> when you think of the Beatles anymore, you think of Chris Carter, man. He's the Around go-to here, guy. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Paul, so, Paul McCartney will call into the show, so yeah. I think he's pretty dialed in. Yeah, no, it's pretty pretty awesome. So, uh, you know, we have some good stuff going on. Appreciate it, and thank you so much, Stu, for always being who you are and for being a champion. <laughs> for being Stu, uh, for being a I'm champion. Glad I'm allowed to come here and be Stu. So you, know. <laughs> you are Stu, <laughs> Stu. You are, uh, you know, you've been a uh, champion for a long, long time. So thank you very much uh, for what you've been doing for sure. this uh, radio station stick here. Together. Yes, oh. hey, it's uh, the KLOS 50 in Reverse Podcast. I'm Rita Wild. That's Stu Herrera. That's Keith Cunningham. If there's anything wrong with the radio station. My blame fault. Keith. Yeah, My blame fault. Keith. Thank you for Everything. listening.